Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. And he doesn't expect for you to clean up your life perfectly before you come to him. He loves you just the way you are with all of your sin, with all of your stain, with all of your, 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 your grotesqueness, the way that you came this morning, the baggage that you carried. He loves you that way. And when you come to him and you bring him those things, he'll clean your life up. But he won't love you any more than he does right now this very moment. He loves you perfectly. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment, and God does not want you to be tormented by anything this morning. He says, don't be afraid of their threats. Don't listen to their threats. And so Peter's quoting this, and in context we see that what that is, and he's writing this to these first century believers who are going to be persecuted intensely, and he says, don't listen, don't be distracted by their threats. Keep your mind set on heaven. The God of angel armies is in your side. He's watching over you. He's protecting you. You have no reason to fear. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10. He says, don't fear man who can destroy the body, but fear God who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Why do we fear man? We need to fear God. We need to revere God. We need to honor God with that all. And so he says, don't fear man. Don't be troubled. The word troubled, it means to be in turmoil. It means to be shaken. It means to be confused and disturbed and unsettled in your heart. And God doesn't want that for you. First Peter chapter five says that we should cast our cares upon Jesus because he cares for us. My friends, you are blessed even in the midst of your persecution. There is always hope. If you feel like you're suffering this morning, we're not suffering religious persecution like the first century Christians were that Peter's writing to. We're not yet, not to that degree. Some places in the world it's happening, but not here. But if you feel like you're suffering in some other way, physically, emotionally, something's going on in a relationship and it's heavy, it weighs heavily upon you and you're suffering, God sees that. In the midst of that suffering, he wants to bless you. And he wants you to hear this this morning. Just like King Ahaz was told by Isaiah the prophet, there's always hope because God is here. I don't care what it is you're experiencing. There is hope because God is here. I love this. This is my favorite scripture in all of the Bible, Psalm 139. You can read it tonight. But in this scripture, David writes this. He says, how precious are your thoughts towards me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should be more than all of the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. If we should count God's thoughts towards us, they outnumber the sand on every seashore in all of the world. That's how much God is thinking of you, even in the midst of what you might be suffering this morning. So we need to focus our attention upon the Lord. And that's what 
Peter says in this next verse, verse 15. And we need to see that in the midst of our suffering, we as believers, we need to get bold about our faith. We need to get serious about sharing our faith with the lost. And he says this in verse 15. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. The word sanctify means to give honor to, to give God his due, to turn your attention towards, to stop being distracted and be attracted to thoughts of God. Sanctify God in your heart. Give him his throne. Stop being distracted and following all of these different things in life, all of these different avenues. Just focus your attention on God and let him be what sustains you. Sanctify God in your heart and always be ready. The word ready is the word for a fetus that is ready to be born. It's ready to sustain life. It's ready to give life. And so here we see Peter saying, be ready to give life, to give a defense. The word is apologia in the Greek from where we get our word in, in English, apologetics. It's a defense in a courtroom. It's standing up and saying, this is why I believe what I believe. This is why I do what I do. So Peter's saying we need to be ready to give a defense, to give a word in court for the reason for the hope that is within us. That word hope, it means an absolute expectation of a coming good. It means confidence. We have to be ready to give a reason for our confidence in Christ. Now here's what's amazing, is that in the midst of all of this, he says this to these people. These aren't people that are in seminary. These aren't people that have studied their lives. These are not Greek and Hebrew scholars. These are common people who are about to suffer. And he says, you can be used by God when you give your testimony. When you just stand up and say, this is what God has done for me. John chapter nine, there's a story of a blind man, blind from birth, who sat day in and day out begging for scraps the disciples say, that, see that guy there, Jesus? Why is he blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin that he was born blind? And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. That man is blind because God is gonna be glorified today. And Jesus stoops down and he picks up some dirt and he spits into his hand and he rubs it together and he makes mud. And he stands up and he spreads the mud into this man's eyes and he says, now go wash in the pool of Siloam, the scent one, go wash in the pool. He goes obediently and he washes and his sight is not restored. He never had sight. He's given sight for the very first time and people are stunned. Isn't this the guy who used to sat, uh, sit, sit at the city gate begging for scraps? He said, well, no, that can't be him. It just looks like him. He says, no, that's me. I, I was blind. And so they bring him to the Pharisees, and they say, how did this happen? And he says, all I know is there was a man named Jesus, and he came through, and he spit in my eyes, and now I'm, my sight is here. I, that's all I can say. I can't explain it any other way. Now I, I, I can see. He said, What? He's spitting your eyes and you can see? I don't believe this. Call the guy's parents. So they call the parents in. And they interrogate this parents. Is this your son? Has he been blind from birth? How did he get healed? The parents say, he's old enough. Ask him. 
So they come back to him. How did you get healed? I've already told you this. Do you need me to tell you again? Do you want me to, do you also want to become his followers? And this is what he says, listen. They say, this guy must be a sinner. He must be a sinner because he healed you on the Sabbath, the day of rest. And he says, listen, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All that I know, one thing I know, though I was blind, now I see. That's all I know. You know what his defense was? The reason for the hope that was in him was just telling anyone who would listen what Jesus had done for him. How about the story of the woman at the well? In John chapter four, Jesus stops in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, and he's thirsty. And his disciples have gone off into town, a town there in Samaria, in order to get some food. And a woman approaches with her pot. He says, will you draw some water for me? And she says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan woman. You don't talk to Samaritans. You don't talk to women. Why are you talking to me? Woman, if you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would ask me for water, and I would give you water that would quench every thirst you've ever had. So much water you'll have, so much of my spirit you'll have, that within you it will be like an everlasting well that will bubble up into everlasting life. And she says, well, bring me some of that water because I don't want to have to come draw here anymore. He says, woman, go call your husband. And she's like, are you kidding me? I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't have a husband because you have more than one husband. You have like five husbands because the one that you're with today isn't your husband either because you haven't committed your life in marriage to him. You're in sin. And she says, I perceive you're a prophet. She goes back, she leaves her pot, she goes back to the city. And this is what she does. She goes in there and she says, come and see a man who told me all the things I had ever done, I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? The people come back and they listen to Jesus. They invite him to stay. He stays two days in their area and people are being saved left and right. And this is what they say in John chapter four, verse 42. They say, then they said to the woman, this sinful woman who was there, caught. You know, she, she's caught by Jesus, shining a light on her sin. Now all of a sudden, she's popular, And they say, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. She went and she said, come back, you gotta hear, you gotta hear what this Jesus can do. The blind man says, all I can tell you is that I was blind and now I see. How about the story of the man who was demon possessed in the tombs, naked, They chained him and he broke the chains. He was cutting himself with rocks and Jesus gets off the boat. He walks onto the shore and the man approaches and falls down and says, please do not torment us before our time. Don't send us into the abyss. Why are you here, Jesus? It isn't our time to be suffering just yet. Jesus says, what's your name? We are legion because we are many. There are many unclean spirits in this man, naked in the tombs, living in the graves and in the mountains, cutting himself with rocks. Jesus looks and, what's your name? Legion. And they beg, those unclean spirits beg that they wouldn't be cast into that abyss. Please send us into the herd of swine instead. And so Jesus casts them out and into the swine and they walk off the cliff and drown. And the people come out. Do you remember what happens? Those people ask Jesus to leave because of what he had done. But this man 
When they come and they see him, now he's clothed and he's in his right mind and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And do you remember what he says? He says, please, let me come with you. You delivered me where no one else could. All I've ever been is shackled and chained. All I've ever been naked and ashamed. That's all I've ever known. Chained and shackled and naked and ashamed. And when I came to you, you changed my life. I want to go with you. This is what Jesus says to him. He says, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Go tell them what I've done for you. Go give them the good news. Go share with them. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need to be a Greek scholar, a Hebrew scholar. All you need to do in order to share the hope that is within you is tell people what Jesus has already done in your life. I was blind and now I see. I was possessed and now I'm set free. I was naked and ashamed and now I'm no longer naked and ashamed. Now I'm complete. Now I'm made whole. Go tell the world what Jesus has done for you. You see, the world is without hope. The world is without hope because they're in sin, because they're distracted, because their heart is set on this earth. But you, my friends, your hope, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, that this hope we have is an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. That this hope, it's an anchor that tethers us to where we're supposed to be. And even though storms come in life, Even though that boat is being beaten and rocked and torn apart, you have an anchor that is holding fast that will keep you safe in the midst of that storm, in the midst of that persecution. And we need to be ready to give a defense. We need to be ready to tell people why, why we have such hope. Does your life beg that question? Does your life beg the question why? What is so different about that person? Why even though they're suffering and they've lost everything, why do they have a smile on their face? Why is there still joy in their heart? Why does your life beg the question why so that you can testify and give God honor and glory for what he's done in your life? So the believer needs to be bold in the midst of their suffering Final point there is the believer needs to be prepared in the midst of their suffering. Read verse 16 and 17 with me. It says, having a good conscience. The word conscience, it's that little voice in your head that's telling you, do not do that. Stop, don't do it. And the picture I have in my mind is of a little baby, child, I guess more like a toddler, when you're trying to potty train them. Those of you who have had children, you know what I'm talking about. They know it's not okay to doo-doo in their diaper. And so when it's time and they don't want to go on the toilet, what do they do? They go and they hide, don't they? (laughs) And your nose follows them and finds them and there they are. Their conscience is telling them, I know I'm not supposed to do this and so I'm going to go and hide. (laughs) Now, that's what's happening. Listen, we do the same, we are toddlers in the eyes of God often. Our conscience is screaming at us, do not watch that. Do not listen to that. Do not participate in that. And we go off and we think we're hiding from God and we do it anyway. And it is as foul to God as that dirty diaper is to us. 
We have to be prepared. We need to protect our conscience at all costs. We need to safeguard it. It's that voice. It's the voice of God speaking into us. And if we're not careful, that conscience can become dirty. Titus chapter 1 says, To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled or dirty and unbelieving, Nothing is pure, but their mind and conscience are defiled. The idea is of a window that is getting dirtier and dirtier and dirtier until you finally can't see through it. Not only can our conscience become dirty, but our conscience can also become damaged. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits in doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. The idea there is that we damage our conscience every time we ignore God saying, don't do that. Every time that voice is saying, do not participate, do not watch, do not listen, when we ignore it, we are making our conscience more and more calloused. It is hardening our hearts so much so that after a while, we can't hear God speaking into us anymore. We have to protect that. We need to be prepared for suffering. And we cannot be prepared for suffering if our conscience is dirty or damaged. And if our conscience is dirty and then damaged, eventually our conscience will become depraved. And that's the most dangerous condition of them all. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near to God. With true hearts and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. An evil conscience, a depraved conscience where you can't tell the difference between right and wrong. That's what happens when you ignore that voice within you saying, stop, don't, keep away from that. Avoid it at all costs. Have you been protecting your conscience, that Holy Spirit's voice that speaks within you, that you hear speaking, saying, don't, don't, don't. It says in verse 16, have a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers and, and those who revile your good conduct in Christ might be ashamed, that when they accuse you of things, they'll look so ridiculous because your life is so pure. Peter says they're going to defame you. They're going to revile you. They're going to say terrible things about you because they hate the hope that is in you. They're jealous of Jesus that lives inside of you. And so they'll do whatever they can to pull you down so that you're miserable just like they're miserable. It's going to happen. What do you do in the midst of that? Now Peter says this in verse 17, it's better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I think that that is telling because that scripture is saying that sometimes it's God's will that we suffer a little bit. That Naaman and Klamath gospel that says when you come to Jesus, you'll never be sick again, you'll never suffer, or you'll never have a, a bounce check again in your life is false. Sometimes God gets the most glory when we suffer just a little bit. And you know what? In my faith, I have to come to God and I have to trust God enough to say, even though I might be sick, even though I might watch my child suffering in sin, I trust that you're going to be glorified through this somehow, God. And I surrender to your will. So we see the suffering of the believer and in the second part of this text, we're going to see 
the suffering of the Savior, Jesus' suffering. And we're going to begin that by looking at how the Savior's suffering leads to admission. Admission into God's kingdom. It's like a ticket. Because Jesus suffered for us, it's like a ticket so we can have access into the presence of God. This is an amazing thing. He says this in verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. He doesn't have to suffer over and over and over again. If you read the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the author there says over and over again that Jesus suffered once for the sins of the world. He didn't have to come over and over and over again with sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Every time you sin, Jesus doesn't have to go back onto the cross. His sacrifice was sufficient. It was good. It pleased and appeased God's wrath. God poured his wrath out on Jesus and now you can be set free because of it. Amen, you can clap for that. He says, this happened once. Once he suffered the just for the unjust. And this is a big word. You can write it down if you want to. But there's the doctrine of substitutionary atonement which basically states that, you know what, there's not a single person in this room who is worthy of dying for their own sins. Yeah, you'd suffer for them, but you're not worthy of being that sacrifice. Why? That lamb, that sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament had to be pure and holy and without spot and without blemish. And if there's anyone in this room who can stand up and say, my life has been pure and holy and without blemish, then I'll stand and I'll applaud you. But the scripture said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 21, that he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin in our place. He didn't know any sin, but he became sin on the cross so that we could be atoned for. Our sin could be atoned for. He was our substitute. He died in our place so that we wouldn't have to. What an amazing God we serve. And because he did this, because he was willing to do this, because he came and he died in your place, now we can have access into the presence of God. Now we can come into his presence, into the Hebrew mind, the Hebrew thinker, the only person worthy of going into the presence of God, going into the Holy of Holies, was the high priest and only one time a year. If you were a Jew... You could come to the temple grounds. You could walk through the court of the Gentiles. You couldn't go into the court of the priests. If you were a priest, you could move into the court of the priests. There you are now as a priest. Even though you're a priest, you can't go into the Holy of Holies unless you're the high priest. And you can't go in there if you're the high priest unless it's on the Day of Atonement. But Jesus came and he changed it all. He gave us access to the presence of God. He gave us access into God's glory. When he died on the cross, when he gave up his spirit, it says that the veil in the temple was torn in two. The veil that separated us from God's presence was torn. And now we can go whenever we want into God's presence. Listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 2. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. He broke down that wall that he might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting death, putting to death 
enmity. And he came and he preached peace to those who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Because he broke down that wall. He broke down that wall that separated us and now we have admission into his presence whenever we choose. What an amazing Jesus we serve. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.